Chapter Fifteen of Bullets and Billets by Bruce Bairn's Father. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fifteen: Arrival of the Johnsons. Where did that one go? The first fragment dispatched. The Exodus. Where? Shortly after these events, we experienced a rather nasty time in the village. It had been decided way back somewhere at headquarters that it was essential to hold the village in a stronger way than we had been doing. More men were to be kept there, and a series of trenches dug in and around it, thus forming means for an adequate defense should disaster befall our front-line trenches which lay out on a radius of about five hundred yards from the center of the village. This meant working parties at night, and a pretty considerable collection of soldiers lurking in cavities in various ruined buildings by day. Anyone will know that when a lot of soldiers congregate in a place it is almost impossible to prevent someone or other being seen, or smoke from some fire showing, or, even worse, a light visible at night from some imperfectly shuttered house. At all events, something or other gave the Bosch the tip, and we soon knew they had got their attention on our village. Each morning as we clustered round our little green table and had our breakfast, we invariably had about half a dozen rounds of eighteen-pounders crash around us with varying results. But one day as we'd finished our meal and all sat staring into the future, we suddenly caught the sound of something on more corpulent lines arriving. That ponderous, slow-rotating whistle of a Johnson caught our well-trained ears. A pause, then a reverberating, hollow-sounding, crumph! We looked at each other. Heavies, we all exclaimed. Look out, here comes another. And sure enough, there it was, that gargling crescendo of a whistle, followed by a mighty crash considerably nearer. We soon decided that our best plan was to get out of the house and stay in the ditch twenty yards away until it was over. A house is an unwholesome spot to be in when they're shelling about. Our funk hole was all right for whiz-bangs and other fireworks of that sort, but no use against these portmanteaus they were now sending along. Well, to resume, they put thirteen heavies into that village in pretty quick time. One old ruin was set on fire, and I felt the consequent results would be worse than just losing the building, as all the men in it had to rush outside and keep darting in and out through the flames and smoke trying to save their rifles and equipment. After a bit we returned into the house, a trifle prematurely, I'm afraid, as presently a pretty large line in explosive drain pipes landed close outside, and as we afterwards discovered, blew out a fair-sized duck pond in the road. We were all inside, and I think nearly everyone said a sentence which gave me my first idea for a fragment from France, a sentence which must have been said countless times in this war. I.e., where did that one go? We were all inside the cottage now with intent staring faces, looking outside through the battered doorway. There was something in the whole situation which struck me as so pathetically amusing that when the ardor of the boss had calmed down a bit I proceeded to make a pencil sketch of the situation. When I got back to billets the next time I determined to make a finished wash drawing of the scene and send it to some paper or other in England. In due course we got back to billets and the next morning I fished out my scanty drawing materials from my valise and sitting at a circular table in one of the rooms at the farm, I did a finished drawing of where did that one go, occasionally looking through the window on to a mountain of manure outside for inspiration. The next thing was to send it off. What paper should I send it to? I had had a collection of papers sent out to me at Christmas time from someone or other. A few of these were still lying about, 
a bystander was amongst them. I turned over the pages and considered for a bit whether my illustrated joke might be in their line. I thought of several other papers, but on the whole concluded that the bystander would suit for the purpose. And so, having got the address off the cover, I packed up my drawing round a roll of old paper, enclosed it in brown paper, and put it out to be posted at the next opportunity. In due course it went to the post, and I went to the trenches again, forgetting all about the incident. Next time in the trenches was full of excitement. We had done a couple of days of the endless mud, rain, and bullet-dodging work, when suddenly one night we heard we were to be relieved and go elsewhere. Everyone then thought of only one thing. Where were we going? We all had different ideas. Some said we were bound for Ypres, which we heard at that time was a pretty warm spot. Some said La Bassée was our destination. Warm, but not quite as much so as Ypres. Wild rumors that we were going to Egypt were, of course, around. They always are. There was another beauty, that we were going back to England for a rest. The night after the news, another battalion arrived, and after handing over our trenches, we started off on the road to somewhere in France. It was about 11.30 p.m. before we had handed over everything and finally parted from those old trenches of ours. I said good-bye to our little perforated hovel and set off with all my machine-gunners and guns for the road behind the wood to go goodness knows where. We looked back over our shoulder several times as we plodded along down the muddy road and into the corduroy path which ran through the wood. There, behind us, lay St. Yvon under the moonlight and drifting clouds, a silhouetted mass of ruins beyond the edge of the wood. Still the same old intermittent crackling of the rifle shots and the occasional star-shell. It was quite sad parting with that old evil-smelling rain-soaked scene of desolation. We felt how comfortable we had all been there now that we were leaving. And leaving for what? That was the question. When I reached the road and had superintended loading up our limbers, I got instructions from the transport officer as to which way we were to go. The battalion had already gone on ahead, and the machine-gun section was the last to leave. We were to go down the road to Armentiers, and about twelve midnight we started on our march, rattling off down the road leading to Armentiers, bound for some place we had never seen before. At about two a.m. we got there. Billets had been arranged for us, but at two in the morning it was no easy task to find the quarters allotted to us without the assistance of a guide. The battalion had got there first, had found their billets, and gone to bed. I and the machine-gun section rattled over the cobbles into sleeping armentiers, and hadn't the slightest idea where we had to go. Nobody being about to tell us, we paraded the town like a circus procession for about an hour before finally finding out where we were to billet, and ultimately we reached our destination when, turning into the barns allotted to us, we made the most of what remained of the night in well-earned repose. End of chapter 15 Recording by Philip Gould